Since the recent Dobbs decision, which overturned Roe v. Wade, companies have been impacted nationwide and have several new legal angles to consider as it relates to their employees and their businesses. With that in mind, we've created a new podcast series, Dobbs On Demand, designed to help you navigate this new and evolving landscape. We'll feature partners from our labor and employment, employee benefits, white collar, digital assets and data management, and healthcare practices as we break down the top issues and changes in law. I'm Amy Kotman, and you're listening to Baker Host. On this episode of Dobbs on Demand, we will discuss several legal perspectives that employers should consider in light of the Dobbs decision. Our guests today are Ashley Grant and Daniel Lula, partners in our labor and employment practice and members of our Dobbs Decision Task Force. Welcome to the show, Ashley and Daniel. Great to be here. Thank you for having us. Ashley, I'd like to begin with you. Since the Dobbs decision, what are the top issues that employers need to consider as it relates to employee conduct in the workplace? Well, although the Dobbs decision did not technically deal with employment law issues, it it has had a widespread effect on all workplaces across the country. Of course, we've all heard about employers making public statements about benefits they will be offering their employees who reside in states that have or will ban abortion, which I know our colleagues will be addressing in detail in another installment of this series. But in addition to employee benefits issues, employers really need to be cognizant of the fact that the Dobbs decision affects nearly all areas of employment law, ranging from employee leave issues under the FMLA and other state laws when an employee requests leave or other state mandated leave for abortion and subsequent healing process, employee discussions, protests, and other actions in response to employee-provided benefits may be protected under the NLRA. You know, there's issues regarding whether employers can stifle or issue rules that prohibit employees from commenting and voicing or expressing their pro-life or pro-choice stances at work, whether it be verbally on t-shirts or on face masks. Uh, there's gender and religious discrimination and hostile work environment issues under Title VII and other laws. And there are also state whistleblower and retaliation laws for employees who voice their opposition to abortion benefits or report violations of state laws banning abortion. So really, under the current post-Dobbs landscape, it's filled with landmines that employers need to be cognizant of and try to avoid as they navigate this new landscape. I'd like to add to what Ashley said. I agree with all of that, and I think it's just hard to overstate the uh, wide range of legal issues that this uh, decision presents. I think employers are going to be confronting everything from, obviously, employment law, which we're talking about today, and employment law issues, to tax-related issues connected with new benefits that employers might want to roll out. Obviously, the risk of criminal liability and those states that uh, either are going to enact anti-abortion laws in response to Dobbs or already have so-called zombie laws on the books um, to, as Ashley pointed out, traditional labor and collective bargaining uh, issues. It's just very hard to see an area of the law that will not be somewhat implicated by this decision. Drilling down a bit further, Let's talk about how restrictions on abortion and employer responses thereto may implicate federal civil rights law. Daniel, would you like to talk about that? Yes, I think there's really three at least readily identifiable categories of of actions that uh, could implicate uh, federal civil rights law given 
what we now will see uh, will probably be, be a wave of restrictions on abortion. The, the first, obviously, will be where employers want to provide some sort of an abortion-related benefit or benefits designed to facilitate an employee's ability to receive an abortion. Uh, the second might be where uh, an employer does not wish to facilitate abortions, but might be uh, called upon to do so. And the third is where the employer will confront employees discussing uh, abortion rights and, and abortion restrictions, either in a town hall format or on an intranet or something like that. So the first one, which I think is the most common that we're seeing right now, is employers wanting to uh, be on the forefront of caring for their employees uh, by ensuring that they have access to abortions, regardless of state laws. And so many employers are rolling out um, travel stipends or travel benefits or committing to otherwise assist their employees. Um, and I think that Im implicates federal civil rights law. I'll just touch on Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which prohibits discrimination in the terms and conditions of employment uh, on the basis of many categories, including sex and gender. So I think that when employers are rolling out these new benefits, um, they have to be aware of the obligation to provide benefits equally uh, to uh, regardless of sex and regardless of gender. And so although we don't know how this is going to shake out yet, a question arises if you're providing a travel stipend for uh, a female employee to uh, go to a different state to receive an abortion, should you be considering giving a, sim a similar benefit to um, male partners or even female partners of the person receiving an abortion to uh, go and accompany uh, them as well? Would a better practice be to make such benefits completely detached from abortion, at least explicitly, and rather roll out a new travel benefit, for example, that says uh, to any employee who has a uh, serious medical need uh, and believes that that would be better cared for in another state, the company will reimburse your, your travel expenses up to X or provide you additional leave of Y. Uh, that may be a very quick and easy way to reduce uh, the risk of, of running afoul of civil rights law by providing benefits uh, that are not equal across genders, across sexes. The second issue that I mentioned is I think we very well may see an effort by the Biden administration to uh, ensure abortion access through creative means, such as um, requiring employers that operate on federal enclaves or federal lands or military bases to uh, either provide health insurance coverage for abortions or otherwise uh, facilitate their uh, provision. We've already seen the Biden administration come out and direct hospitals receiving federal funds to provide abortion services under the EMTALA law, regardless of whether the state in which they operate may prohibit or criminalize abortion. I think we may also see pro-choice administrations, including some clauses regarding abortion rights in federal contracts and federal procurement. So we may actually have situations where employers may be called upon to facilitate abortion rights in, in ways that they might not otherwise have thought of. And again, they must be cognizant of their require the requirement under federal civil rights law uh, to do that in an equal manner. Lastly, we'll talk about this more later in the podcast, but I think a, a very fertile ground for, for civil rights problems and civil rights claims will come when employers 
host town hall meetings or have an internet discussion board in which the topic of abortion comes up, or when an employer comes out with uh, a formal statement regarding this issue. Let's discuss how employers need to stay cognizant of potential claims that could be asserted by employees who oppose abortion. Ashley? So even before Dobbs, we've seen over the past you know, two to five years even, this increased focus on employees' religious freedoms in the workplace. The most prevalent example being the most recent exemptions or people seeking exemptions from compliance with COVID-19 vaccination policies. And so given that the abortion debate often involves not only political undertones, but also involves or triggers and is tied to religious beliefs, employers need to be cautious about taking adverse actions against an employee for pro-life statements, pro-life actions that they make in and outside of the workplace uh, for a number of reasons. First, because that may violate Title VII's prohibition against religious discrimination. Uh, In fact, just two weeks ago, a jury in the Northern District of Texas returned a verdict in favor of a former employee against a a large airline and awarded her nearly $5 million in damages, finding that the employer and the union that she was part of had discriminated against her because of her religious beliefs and failed to accommodate those religious beliefs in violation of Title VII. After she was fired in this instance for pro-life Facebook messages that she had sent to the union president that also voiced her opposition to the use of union funds to help members attend a sponsored women's march in January 2017. So, so that verdict just came out. Obviously, dollar-wise, it's huge, but that sh- that shows it's a great example of the potential risk that you could take should an employer want to take an adverse action against an employee when they express their pro-life beliefs. Uh, in addition to Title VII, a number of states have laws that prohibit terminating an employee either based on their political affiliations or more broadly based on conduct outside of the workplace. So Daniel, I, I know that California is one of those states. Yes, California law actually prohibits discrimination in the workplace based on creed, which has been held to encompass political positions and, and political party and political views. And in addition to California, other examples of states that have similar laws, either whether it's banning political affiliations or you can't take adverse actions based on conduct outside of the workplace, include Colorado. In Colorado, employers cannot threaten to fire or fire an employee because of their membership or their connections to a political party or fire an employee for actions that occur outside of the non-working hours and often employers' premises. Connecticut is another example where they specifically have a law prohibiting disciplining or firing employees for exercising their First Amendment rights. Louisiana, down there, they've got a law where employers cannot threaten or fire employees if they support or they take part in certain political organizations and activities. I know New York, too, has a similar statute where they cannot discriminate against employees because of political activities that take place while off-duty and outside of an employer's premises. So employers really need to be aware of other, you know, there's a lot of states out there, it's gonna be very state specific, but there are laws out there that's, that address a lot of the conduct that the you may see per, employees participating in. And I will note that these would not only apply to employees that are representing or, or, 
are um, making statements that are pro-life, they're also going to apply on the other end for pro-choice employees. You know, to the extent they engage in any political activities, making these statements that are that are pro-choice, you need to be cognizant of the state laws that deal with or prohibit actions based upon these activities. In addition. There are also some state-specific whistleblower or retaliation causes of action that may apply and provide protections to employees, whether it be pro-choice or pro-life. For example, Illinois forbids employment discrimination or retaliation for an employee's off-duty use of lawful products, and that includes social media platforms such as Facebook and Twitter. So Illinois employers should think twice before they take action against an employee because of a, you know, a pro-life or pro-choice tweets, Instagram posts, or Facebook status updates. Another one separate from really a Facebook or status update going outside of that, Texas has what we call a Sabine Pilot Doctrine. And under that doctrine, it creates a cause of action for wrongful termination if an employee is asked to commit an illegal act that carries criminal penalties, the employee refuses to engage in that act, and then they are terminated because of that refusal. And where that ties in with the current um, post Dobbs debate is with the Texas heartbeat statutes that, you know, make it a criminal act or there's some questions on that that I know will be discussed in the, in the criminal installment of this series. But if it's found to be a criminal action, if an employer, for example, is providing benefits, if you've got an employee in Texas who is asked to help administer some post-Dobbs programs or benefits, and they refuse to do so because they think it's, you know, it's against the law, it's against Texas law. If you terminate that employee, you may be, you may be faced with a Sabine Pilot claim. So, so really, whether or not these statutes apply, it's going to depend on a number of factors, the specific conduct at issue, the state that it occurred in. And so therefore, before you take any action against an employee based upon their pro-life speech, but also their, their pro-choice speech or conduct, I, I would strongly encourage and recommend that employers consult with counsel. As we close out today's program, what's the best approach when it comes to employer-directed town meetings and individual employee discussions on this issue? Daniel, would you like to begin? Yes, thank you. You know, there's an old legend that in stagecoaches in the Old West, there was a placard hung that would say, don't discuss politics and religion. In an effort to uh, minimize people getting into fistfights in stagecoaches, I don't know if that's true or not, but for many, many years, that was the approach in the workplace. In the last few years, we've seen workplaces really change and become much, much more open to discussions of not just the outside world, but very sensitive issues touching directly on politics and religion. We've seen many employers actually foster that. Uh, in fact, I even suggest that the diversity inclusion equity movement has uh, brought that into the workplace in, in a very real way. And often companies even have directors of diversity, inclusion and equity that facilitate such discussions. And I think those can be very good. They can be good for employee care. They can be good for employee mental health, but they can also present a, a great risk of, of diminishing or insulting groups with which speakers don't agree. And Title VII of the Civil Rights Act prohibits discrimination, not just in a direct form of paying a certain group less than you pay another, but so-called hostile work environment discrimination, that when it, the workplace has become so hostile to someone uh, due to their sex or religion or other protected characteristic 
that is a form of discrimination. And that's exactly the risk that employers have with town hall meetings, intranets, and even um, co company statements or position statements or policy statements, uh, is that those fora can very easily turn, uh, turn, turn ugly, to be very honest. And so I think that an employer that wants to have a town hall meeting regarding DOPS, regarding abortion, needs to have a moderator that is neutral, it needs to have a set of ground rules that the moderator reads at the beginning and enforces, namely, you know, no personal attacks against individuals or even groups, ensure that statements are I-focused and focused on feelings. I think it's perfectly fine for employees to share their concerns, their worries about what DOPS may mean for them, for their own medical care, for their own health, but not to cast dispersions on people or groups that may have worked for or against the outcome that Dobbs brought. I think that that's true for intranets as well, discussion boards, bulletin boards, things like that. I think they need to be moderated. And I think outside content being posted, such as YouTube videos or speeches by other people, need to be maybe placed in moderation and reviewed by a moderator before they are, they're posted. Lastly, I, I want to touch on something that a number of companies have done, which is to come out with official statements from the C-suite about their views on, on dogs and, and on abortion. And I think whether it's pro or con, that's extremely risky because when, let's say, the CEO of a company comes out and says, company XYZ is committed to reversing this terrible decision and ensuring abortion rights, or comes out with a, a celebratory announcement that lauds Dobbs, your workforce is not monolithic. And when a company says things like, we believe or our values at the company are, you are almost per se creating a hostile work environment for those that disagree. And if their disagreement is based on a protected characteristic like sex or religion, which here in the subject of abortion, it's hard to believe that anyone's views pro or con are not connected to both their sex and or their religion, the risk is very great. So it, there's a, an old saw that the lawyers counsel business persons to move slow, slowly business persons want to move fast to uh, be trendsetters and, and capture profit. But here is really an area where I think the best practice is to move very slowly, uh, perhaps not roll out new programs, new statements, new benefits without talking to counsel first. Another thing to keep in mind, too, is the law right now is very, it's, it's not only complicated, but it's very unsettled and it's changing every day. And so without contacting counsel, you may not know, you know, that you're walking into this, that it's setting, you know, in a hostile work environment or, or understanding or knowing kind of the, the implications that are going to come out by either a press statement or the statements you're making to employees. Uh, and it's going to be changing day by day. And so it's even more important to make sure that you consult counsel and, you know, be very prepared before issuing these and not acting too hasty. Thank you both very much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. If you have any questions for Ashley and Daniel, their contact information is in the show notes. For more information on the impact of the Dobbs decision, visit the Post Row Resource Center on bakerlaw.com and check out all Dobbs On Demand episodes by subscribing to Baker Hosts wherever you get your podcasts. Tune into our next episode where we will discuss employee benefits. 
As always, thanks for listening to Baker Hosts. Comments heard on Baker Hosts are for informational purposes and should not be construed as legal advice regarding any specific facts or circumstances. Listeners should not act upon the information provided on Baker Hosts without first consulting with a lawyer directly. The opinions expressed on Baker Hosts are those of participants appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the firm. For more information about our practices and experience, please visit bakerlaw.com.